Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to the year 2021. We've made it to book two, chapter four, The Swamp. <sighs> yeah, here we are. This is uh, this is another episode, I think, on the list of lowest rated episodes. I think this is like number four. Yes. With, uh... with The Great Divide being number one. I, this is pretty high up there. I'm going to say, wasn't a huge fan of it, but there's some parts of it that I did really like. And um, and we do get a little bit of Zuko Iroh, which we haven't had for a while. Right, right. And I, yeah, I will say um, this is one that to my mind, if this is a good, important episode, mm. it's going to entirely depend on where ideas from this go. Right. You if know? they're referenced again. Mm-hmm. Yep. If, 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 this, if this ends up playing forward, that... This could be really important, or it could be one where it's like, oh, yeah, remember when we went to the swamp? Right. And then it's like, that just doesn't, yeah. So we'll see. I think this, unlike the Great Divide, which I feel like really you could just excise, and I don't think you would lose anything, this introduces some interesting ideas, but I don't know where they're going to go. Right. And some important stuff with Zuko and Iroh. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also just didn't ruin any characters like the that's, Great Divide. That's true. Yeah. It, it's, it's, well, interestingly, as we talked about in our last episode, it's, it's at worst kind of neutral. Right. You yep. know? Yep. Um, like I wouldn't need to go back and watch this a bunch of times. Right. This it doesn't, not... it doesn't have the fun of the, um, uh, the singing in the Cave of Two Lovers, you know, yes. which, which again, people could be dismissive of that episode, but that episode is, is a blast to watch. Wouldn't it be great if they appeared in the swamp? I would, nomads. I would love that. I would love that. So good. I just want them like the cabbage guy to just every once in a while we just see the nomads. We haven't seen singing. the cabbage guy in a long it's been time. A while, but we're back in the Earth Kingdom now. Oh, so. it's gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, so we should we jump in? Let's do it. Okay, so um let's see. We start out this time with Zuko and Iroh. Is this this doesn't happen very often that they're the open to the episode. No, and we haven't have we not seen them since the first episode? No, they were they were in two episodes ago. Yes, when yeah. uh, when they met Song. Correct. Okay, got it. So they've been bouncing from Earth Kingdom to Earth Kingdom. Right. Um, which I I felt was kind of a. It seemed like they swapped places in their story. Um, where first season, Aang and the Aang gang were the ones that were um, moving from village to village. Uh, and Zuko was the one that had a clear plan. And mm-hmm. now it seems like it's swapped and um. The Aang gang is going from point A to point B. They're not stopping along the way. Zuko and Iroh feel kind of aimless. Mm -hmm. They're also on foot. They also have like no money. Right. (laughs) And no food. So I think we're going to see a lot more of them in different villages. Yeah, which I'm excited for, especially if they visit villages that we've maybe been to. It would be really fun. Right, because the first season was fun since we got to see how the Aang gang responds to people they don't know, to cultures they don't know. Now it's like... We get to see Zuko and Iroh in that environment. I feel like Iroh will be like when he met the pirates and mm-hmm. he'll enjoy cultural differences and he'll like really engage with it and like make friends. Right. I'm not sure how Zuko's going to respond. Well, and, and if we remember the first episode of this season, it's not just that they're embracing being forced to embrace other cultures because they really are exiled from their own culture. They're also forced to embrace a shifting class. Yes. And that's exactly. that's where this opening scene Drops us. Right. Exactly. So they are um, sitting in a, a really beautiful Earth Kingdom village. Um, it looks like maybe rice paddy fields or there's um, yeah. it's agrarian again, um, similar to 
the last village they were in. Um, if not even the same area, who knows where they are. <laughs> I feel like they must have moved on. True. They did steal the ostrich horse. So like they yeah. want to kind of get out of there. And they had a way to get somewhere else. So Right. Yeah. Um, so this village, it has like streams running through it, wooden walkways, very picturesque. But we see the, I call them the Zuko duo because we have the Aang gang. So I feel like we need a name. So the Zuko duo um, and the ostrich horse that was stolen are sitting on the side of the street kind of on these like hay mats. Um, and they, uh, Iroh is asking for money from passersby. So clearly they are, have fallen on hard times. Zuko is in his farmer's hat as usual, kind of having it um, tucked over his face so that no one can really see him. He's probably a bit shamed, ashamed of being in this vulnerable situation. He also has identifiable markings in the same way Aang does. Aang has the tattoos. Zuko has this giant face scar. So like there there would be legend tell of him, even if people haven't seen wanted posters, which are also out, he's pretty identifiable. Right, right. Uh, The farmer's hat helps. It's pretty big. So um, Iroh's lifting up his own hat and um, saying things like spare coins for weary travelers. And Zuko is unhappy. He says, this is humiliating. We are royalty. These people should be giving us whatever we want. That's been their experience in the Earth Kingdom in the first season. Um, and Iroh says, they will They will if you ask nicely. And so um, people walk by, give some coins here and there. And a young woman who's dressed in purple, um, very beautiful, approaches. And she... I felt she had some kind of nomad vibes to her, didn't you think? Oh, sure. A little little hippie vibe. A yeah, little yeah. Everyone yeah. else um, is kind of in the, the traditional Earth Kingdom gray, and she's in purple. She stands out. She has um, flowers in her hair. And uh, Iroh is is taken by her. <laughs> so he asks her um, for for a coin. And she feels bad and, and has pity on him. So she throws one in his hat. And he says, the coin is appreciated, but not as much as your smile She's like, hmm, I was going to say it's creepy, but eh, it's all right. She seemed yeah, okay with it. Yeah, it's hard. It's, I think for right now, I'm giving Zuko or giving Iroh a pass on this Me too. a little bit. He's, Me too. he's charming is what we're going to say. And uh, he's he's crossed that line at least once into creepy, <laughs> but we're going to say he's charming right now. I, I agree. Think. Yeah. And she seemed all right. She was, yep. she thought he was funny. Because he doesn't go any further. He's, he's like not, a yeah. funny old man. <laughs> so uh, Zuko's arms are crossed, though, and at, when he hears his uncle say that about her smile, he like puts his palm to his face, and he is clearly embarrassed. Which I would do too. It would oh, be embarrassing. Yes, yeah. I'm like, oh, please, do you have to talk right now? Um, another villager though passes by them and says he'll give them a gold piece, but only if they return it with some form of entertainment. And uh, Zuko is uninterested. He says, "We're not performers." But then Iroh says, not professional anyway. We know that he has his music nights. And so Iroh stands up and he starts singing this song about um, the women, the beautiful women of Ba Sing Se, like on my way to Ba Sing Se. Yeah, this, it reminded me a little bit. I mean, it's it's not the same, but it reminded me of um, like a long way to Tipperary. Yes, because it's a long way to Ba Sing Se. Yes, right? yes. Oh, it's I'm a long, sure. long way to Ba Sing Se. And I was like, oh, this is, it's Tipperary. I, w- I almost wish they would have taken that melody and just done it because that would have been kind of great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, but it's about the, the girls from Ba Sing Se. And, yeah. Probably from his old days when uh, he, he went there, right? I imagine this is what his troops sang as they marched off to yeah. battle. Yeah. Know? Agreed. Um, 
And so he's swaying back and forth and he's happily singing the song, kind of folding his hand, cheesy grin. He's really putting on a show, but it's not enough for the the man who passed by. Um, I call him the village jerk because he's <laughs> we never learn his name, but he seems like a real piece of work. And uh, he isn't satisfied. So he grabs his sword that's on his back and he begins striking the ground in front of Iroh to try to make him dance. And at this, we get a zoom out and we see villagers on the street all kind of gawking at this situation. And Zuko is livid, um, but he holds back his anger by like clenching his hands onto his knees and he looks like he's about to strike or about to use fire. I, I thought about fire. I thought like, cause that would be the thing that would reveal them as oh, who they yeah. are and reveal them as fire nation. So like it's, and I, this is something to watch for. Like I have this feeling Zuko is, is just having to suppress his abilities really. Cause he can't show it mm-hmm. um, because that would instantly put him at odds with everyone. So it's actually a, a pretty powerful thing to have this, this guy who, I mean, Iroh has these same powers too, but it's not a matter of suppressing for Iroh because he just knows what he's doing. But for Zuko, it is all of his instincts say to lash yeah. out. And anger is what produces fire for Zuko, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's livid, but he, he's able to control himself in that moment. And the village jerk <clears throat> laughs and says, there's nothing like a fat man dancing for his dinner. This guy is truly the worst. Truly the worst. And um, he does toss the gold coin in Iroh's hat. And Iroh says, such a kind man. It also shows Iroh's perspective, too. It's like, because he actually, I mean, that could have played out differently. And the guy could have said, still not good enough and walked away. And Iroh just embarrassed himself for nothing. So, like, it is is a a better coin. It's a gold coin. It's presumably better than anything else they got. They're presumably going to be able to eat off that coin. Yeah. I kind of like that Iroh doesn't care about shame mm-hmm. or embarrassment yeah. too. Because that's what makes him so cool. Yeah. It's like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. he's like, oh, I sing and dance on music night. What's any difference? Here I get money for it. <laughs> right? Um, so that's our only little bits of the Zuko duo for the start of the episode. We go back to the Aang gang, and again, they're flying on Appa, kind of the traditional start of an episode. But it seems very eerie. There's a heavy green-tinted haze um, and clouds hanging overhead. And the gang is entirely silent. Uh, Momo is just kind of sitting, looking over the saddle, watching the surroundings as they pass. Um, Because below them, it looks like miles and miles of jungle. Um, And Sokka is sharpening his knife. And Aang, uh, at at the head, steering Appa, is zoning out, looking down at the swamp below them. And Sokka notices something he notices that they're moving lower to the ground so he stops sharpening his his machete and he looks around and says ang aren't you are you taking us down for a reason and ang kind of wakes up from his trance and said that he didn't realize uh he was telling appa to descend yeah it this reminds me it's it's definitely not a one-to-one comparison but it reminds me of scenes in lord of the rings where you where like um uh, Frodo is entranced by something or by the ring or by in the fire swamp where it's like all of a sudden he's gone and then all and then somebody pulls him out of it mm-hmm. you know and like that's it, that's sort of what this reminded me of like he for all we know he would have just flown up or right into the ground and crashed like it's like he's not there and then Sokka pulls him out of it yes exactly um so Aang says this is going to sound weird, but I think the swamp is calling to me, similar to Frodo and the Ring. Mm-hmm. I think it wants us to land there. 
And Sokka shrugs and he says, no offense to the swamp, but I don't see any land there is to land on. It truly is like a jungle that's growing mm-hmm. out of the water. Right. Uh, and Aang kind of weighs the options and he says, you know, Booby said that to learn earthbending, I would have to wait and listen. And now I'm actually hearing the earth. Do you want me to ignore it? And Sokka said, yeah. <laughs> and Katara goes, well, I don't know. There's something really ominous about this place. And Momo even starts to shrink back from the edge of Appa's saddle, and he feels anxious too, and Appa roars. And so Sokka says, like, look, even those two think that this is dangerous. Right. Maybe we should follow along with what the animals are sensing. And so Aang relents, and he tells Appa to fly back into the clouds. No swamp today. I'm Maybe another time. But as that happens, uh, like a tall, thin funnel tornado starts racing behind them that they hadn't noticed before. Right. It's like a very specific tornado, like <clears throat> aimed at them. And it's actually the kind of thing we've only seen Aang produce. Yeah, true. True. I mean, it doesn't seem like weather. It, it seems like something like that. The clouds around <laughs> it haven't changed at all. It's still hazy. And here's this random tornado that appeared once mm. Aang decided to fly back up. Right. And um, locally pointed at them. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it is. it has like an unnatural color to it, too. It's kind of like green or, mm-hmm. or yellow. Um, unnatural for the rest of the setting. Uh, so it catches up with Appa as Appa tries to ascend into the clouds. And Appa and Aang... Both then try to evade, avoid this this tornado, um, but it's too fast and too powerful. And so Aang shields the gang inside this like spinning ball, like he's done many times mm-hmm. before. Um, and they enter into the the heart of the funnel, uh, but it only holds for a minute before the Aang gang is separated um, and flung out into different directions into the swamp below. Because well, I thought, and I could. This I could be wrong on what I saw. I thought in the ball that he created wasn't like one of Appa's feet sticking out of it. I think um, it initially some... was around all of them, but then Appa's foot like gets out, and the camera notices that first, and mm-hmm. it's like this ball is collapsing under the gotcha. strength of the funnel. Gotcha. I okay. think. Uh, so. Um, they're flung into the swamp and we have another situation that's like a natural start or maybe a natural mystical start to different pairings of the group. Mm-hmm. They're now separate again. And this time we have the Aang trio, Aang, Katara, and Sokka that land kind of nearby each other. Um, so we know that the animals are on their own. Which is interesting because we haven't seen this separation. We had this in the cave of two lovers. We had a separation, but this is Momo, Appa, and they're going to have their own adventure together. And yeah. I don't think we've seen that exactly. Have no. We? And I think Momo and Appa would prefer that grouping. Yes. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah. Um, I I also love this episode because they're not afraid to sit in kind of a silence of having these two characters that don't speak, but like being able to understand their reasoning. Right. I really liked that part. I think right. that's a bold move. Absolutely. Especially in a kid's show. Absolutely. To not have any dialogue. Uh, so Aang and Katar and Sokka, though, um, they land and Aang kind of does that sweet trick of airbending himself so that he doesn't just fall straight into the swamp. Um, but Katara and Sokka are not quick enough. Obviously, Sokka can't do anything. They just belly flop straight into the water. And Aang airbends up to a tall tree in the swamp to see if he can hear or see Appa and Momo. Um, and there's no luck. And it Bo- just seems to go on forever, and it's all covered in in jungle. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like a jungle canopy, so you can't even see anything below it. 
Um, and Sokka shrieks because there's this elbow-sized leech that um, – <laughs> or sorry, forearm-sized leech called an elbow leech that's clinging to his elbow. And he, he yells, why do things keep attaching to me? Which is totally – like a callback to the pentapods. Right. I love that Katara, she see, I mean, this is um, maybe a callback to a movie like Stand By Me when they're in the swamp mm. and they come out and they see a leech and then they start pulling leeches off each other. Because at yeah. first you don't see it and you see Katara say, Saga, you have an elbow leech. And he says, where? And she's like, where do you think? <laughs> and then we cut to seeing it and it's a joke that the leech is the size of Appa's arm. Like it's this huge thing. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking that is a... That is a, a Stand By Me reference, in part yeah. because, again, I keep bringing up these writers or children of the 80s, and I think any anyone who saw that movie in the 80s, whenever they're in a like a, a lake or a, especially like a, a pretty murky body of water, you start to think about what it's attaching to me. Oh, absolutely. I even have that fear because I've seen that movie, too. And, like, leeches, I'm fearful of going in lakes because of it. Yeah. Uh, good point. So, um... <laughs> Sokka gets the leech off eventually and Aang returns back to the two of them with no answers at all for where their their animal friends are uh, but he realized also that the tornado had mysteriously disappeared he couldn't find its tracks anywhere else in another part of the jungle we have the other half of our group um, Appa is stuck suspended like mm, I don't know, a couple dozen feet or more in, in the air. It's high up. Yeah. In the jungle. Um, and he's wrapped up in these long vines. And Momo's just kind of sitting on his back. And Appa's struggling to try to get out of these vines, vines while Momo jumps to each one of them and chews them until they break one by one. They're actually like a pretty good pair together. Yeah, yeah. you have you have the power of Appa and you have the, the, the sort of agility of Momo. Yeah, and Momo's like pretty resourceful. Mm-hmm. Um, so... <laughs> he um, Momo is chewing and breaking each of the vines until Appa starts to plummet into the swamp. Um, and he like shakes off the water and starts immediately to fly again, only to be caught then again in another set of vines. And Momo's face at this point says it all. He's like, really? Again? So you wonder how many times this scenario has played out before the camera gets to them, right? right. Like, how many times has Appa tried to fly again and been caught in vines and Momo has to save him? But as you point out, it's a great way to establish they can't just fly out of there. Oh, yeah. You know, and but without saying a word. Mm -hmm. So so I I feel like this is, I'm wondering um, if this is a test for the writers to say, okay, if we pair together the two characters who can't talk, how much, like... How much can we pull off without the language? I think that's, I think you're right. And I think that's a, that's really cool. Yeah. And the way that they animated their faces to have, to show very specific emotions, like frustration from Momo. Excellent. Like I really loved it. Um, So Momo flies right up to Appa's face and (laughs) flying and kind of hovering in front of his face and clearly like chastising him in Momo language uh, and then begins to chew the vines again. So we're like, all right. That's where those two are. So we go back to the the Aang trio, and Sokka begins to urge his friends to speed up their search. Um, And he's slashing at these hanging vines to clear their path. And Aang warns him and says, maybe we should be a little nicer to the swamp. And Sokka says, Aang, these are just plants. Do you want me to say please and thank you as I swing my machete back and forth? And Katara says, maybe you should listen to Aang. Something about this place feels alive. And Sokka believes that anything alive in here is going to eat them. 
So they have to just keep searching for Appa. So I thought of two things in this in this scene and then going forward. Um, I'm going to go back to the, the two sources I go back to all the time with this. It reminded me of being in Fangorn Forest in Lord of the Rings yeah. where it's like you realize the Ents are there and there is this sense of like all of this stuff is living and like and how scary the axe is to them, right? Because... You know, you shouldn't att- you shouldn't attack. You shouldn't cut down trees, mm-hmm. things like that. It also reminds me of an Empire Strikes Back when the Millennium Falcon flies into that cave, and they first they think they're just in a cave, and then they realize they're in something alive. Yes. So it obviously doesn't play out to be that, but I had this when I was watching this. I had this sense of like, is this going to be something like that, where like this is all alive, and it kind of is. Well, you know, we'll 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 learn more about this forest. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or like um, Narnia or Hunger Games where it's like you can't even trust the trees or the birds. Like every, right. anything could be out to get you. Right. Uh, so um, Sokka says that, you know, like anything alive will hurt them. And so we see the trio continue to trudge through the water. Uh, but we see it through a different camera angle this time. And it's from like the first person perspective of somebody spying on them. So there is a living being in that swamp looking at them. And can you describe, I'm bad at describing what what this camera angle looks like. It's like vines hanging over. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's almost like a spy shot in that way, right? Like you're. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you're, it's, you have some obstruction there. I mean, there's this episode uh, I'm trying to think. I'm gonna wait on the comment I'm gonna make here because there's there's another there's another vibe that this episode totally has, but I'm gonna wait on it Ooh. and we'll talk about it a little bit later. Okay, sounds good. I'll leave it a mystery. <laughs> okay, so we leave our our trio as they walk off in the forest, knowing that somebody is watching them. So then we go back to Appa, and Appa has realized, you know, I have to go on foot. <laughs> Momok has clearly convinced him, and. Uh, Appa is stopped by a giant fallen tree in their path, and he just, like, collapses onto the ground. Um, It's like Appa, like, just giving up in frustration. Yeah, he's like, why am I walking? This is not my mode of transportation. Well, and also, let's remember, we don't know how long they've been flying. So, like, he might be almost done anyhow. And it's like, so you're telling me I flew you guys all this way, and now I got to hike through the jungle? Yeah, I have to walk through a (laughs) forest. Um, So in desperation, Momo picks up the bison whistle that's in the saddle, and he tries to call to Aang to come to them, which is pretty bright. Uh, But all he does is irritate Appa, who then, like, smacks him with a tail. I didn't know if he was calling to Aang or he was, like, calling to Appa to be like, okay, Appa, let's do this. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I think it might be that. I like both interpretations. Yeah, I think I, I give Momo a lot more credit than maybe <laughs> maybe I should. He probably was just telling Appa to keep going. Uh, so it's nightfall now. We don't really know how long they've been in the forest, but it's been a while. And Katara continues to call for Momo and Appa, um, calling out their names in the darkness. And Sokka says, you know, like, we can't see them. We can't hear them. Um, they can't see us either. It's not worth continuing to go. Like, we should set up camp and make a fire and uh, look in the morning. It's interesting because I think about this in the Cave of Two Lovers, how both of these just seem so hopeless. Imagine if you were Aang, Katara, and Sokka, and you're just like, how do we ever get out of here? How do we ever find them? Because Appa especially is the key to getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, just... 
we're watching this as a show knowing, well, of course the character, like this isn't going to be, it's not just going to be, you know, 50 more episodes of them wandering in the jungle. But when you're actually living in a situation, like, have you ever been really lost somewhere? Like, yeah, especially in in nature, like it's terrifying. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, um, and they all, I mean, they all need each other. They need the five of them for everything mm-hmm. to work. Uh, so the trio is standing on this large fallen log, and it's kind of suspended above the water horizontally, like a, like, kind of like a natural walkway. That's a lot of what the, the jungle looks like. And below them, a bubble pops up from, from the water, and gas floats up around the trio. And Sokka says, you know, it's probably just swamp gas, like nothing scary here. Look, there's nothing super supernatural going on at all. And then they hear a blood-curdling scream from somewhere in the jungle. And all three of them jump together. And Sokka and Aang, like, cling to Katara in the center for safety. And the scream, we realize, came from a tiny, I thought it looked kind of like a kookaburra, mm-hmm. um, type of bird who then flew off. Like, that's the sound it makes. Right. And I love this because here we have the tension that runs throughout this episode of, like, is this supernatural or is there a rational scientific description or explanation for things and we're going to run, this tension's going to run throughout it. And this scene, what's great about it is this show tends to lean towards, oh, people think it's scientific, but really there is this supernatural. But this episode keeps showing us, oh, no, no, this is just a natural a source. thing. Yep, yeah. Yep, this, this scream was just this bird calling. Maybe this was bubble was just swamp gas. Maybe this, maybe all this can be explained and yes, it's all in their heads. Exactly. Uh, so... The gang is scared, and Sokka says, I think we should just build a fire. So he begins chopping at the roots of the tree for firewood, and Aang again, like, asks him to stop. And Sokka's dismissive, making jokes about, the tree doesn't care, right? The tree is happy to give me firewood. And he even, like, like uses the tree like a puppet. And so, like, yeah, he, like, talks yes, it's for okay, it. it's okay, Sokka. <laughs> it's, it's very funny, actually. Uh, so then we see the trio inside a massive kind of dead, hollowed-out tree, and they're sitting around the fire they had built. And Katara says, does anyone else get a feeling that we're being watched? And Sokka goes, please, we're all alone out here. And he starts swatting at flies with his machete, so clearly, like, they're not alone. Right. <laughs> uh, and then, a like, a large glowing orb appears. Do you know where that came from? I don't. I feel like it was never explained. Right, right, right. So it is a mysterious thing that maybe can't be explained. And it floats around them and then into the jungle and it lights up uh, all these pairs of glowing eyes. So there are definitely animals uh, or, or other creatures watching them. So the gang then huddles again together in fear. And then we go back to Appa and he's sleeping on this low hanging branch and Momo is laying in his saddle keeping watch for the night. I like to think that they like take turns. Right. You know? Right. Uh, and Momo's big ears pick up all the sounds of the swamp like he's always been really good at catching sounds before mm-hmm. anyone else and it's driving him crazy so he can't sleep and he's just kind of wandering aimlessly in in Mopo, Momo or Appa's saddle and this disturbs Appa's sleep and he's frustrated because he has been flying all day so he roars mightily until the swamp sounds die down everything around it's like all right that thing's serious and uh he's able to fall back asleep and then Momo is able to settle in as well. And he's finally resting his eyes, but his ears and eyes perk up again at a sound that we can't really hear. Mm-hmm. And then the scene changes. But we know there's something out there that he's tuning into. Right. So there's something tracking both that group as well as the trio. 
And so the trio, we go back to them. They're sleeping in a circle. Clearly, the swamp is getting to them because they have all their backs facing each other in every direction so that they can keep watch, though they have all fallen asleep. And Sokka's even holding his machete in his hand and drooling as he's sleeping. And we see that vantage point again from whoever, whatever Mm -hmm. is watching them um, from behind some vines. And then we see one single vine slink up from that vantage point and twist around Sokka's leg and then his whole body. And soon the whole trio are covered in vines and yanked in opposite directions of the forest. Um, And so Sokka's able to cut himself free. He had his machete in his hand, but the vines keep flying at him. So he runs kind of messily through the forest, like falling over roots and um, falling down down trees. Um, And he he flees through the swamp water. Katara then in her own corner of the jungle water bends and is able to slice at the vines uh, but they also keep running or keep coming at her as right well. it feels relentless like there's just nothing yeah, yeah either the vines themselves are growing back or there's just more and more and more in them and then we see ang who is using airbending um to to create a circle around himself so that he can get out of the vines like basically airbended space for him to sneak out right. from the vines right makes a bubble for him yeah 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 that's like his go-to yeah it's a good move. Yeah. Um, and he's able to escape into the trees too. But he stops running after a while and realizes that he can't see his friends anywhere. So now the three of them are all separated too. And so then we go to a scene of two swamp hunters. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they they seem like... like okay, I'm going to use a word that the nomad used. He called them river people. Like these are swamp people, yes. right? Like these are people who seem very uh, at at home in the swamp. I yes, I originally wrote swamp people, and then I was like, in my notes, sounds derogatory, but it's it's not, it's describing where they live, right? Right, <laughs> and we should. I mean, we should just lean into describing the uh, affected way that these folks talk. Yes, I mean because this they they are for better or worse, they are very stereotypical characters, right? These are right. Um, I mean, the, the, the words that would get used and, and, and we want to acknowledge that these can be offensive terms, but this is like, would be the stereotypical, like what you would consider a redneck character or like mm-hmm. a hillbilly character, like that kind of, um, speech pattern. Yeah. Speech pattern, the way that they pronounce words, things like that. So, I mean, it's definitely playing that, that stereotype, which is interesting because it's also a very like, um. Uh, distinctly American speech pattern. Yeah. You know, in a world where we don't see that as much. Exactly. So, yes. uh, so <laughs> they're wearing these uh, like green kind of loincloth like mm-hmm. garments and hats made of giant leaves. So they're made of, their their clothes are made of whatever they found in their surroundings. And mm-hmm. um, they feel really comfortable in the swamp. And the taller, thinner one of the two says, what do you reckon make a track like that though? And though said, I don't know, do. So they're though and do. Um, something with six legs, pretty biggins too. And they're looking down at this track uh, from Appa left over in the swamp um, that has like water that has collected in it. And they begin following the footsteps, um, the footstep trail, because at the end of it is what though said is dinner. Mm-hmm. They're trying to so track hunting, down Appa yeah. and hunt them. Yep. And Appa is floating through the swamp with Momo on his back. 
And Momo flies off to catch some gnats that are floating around him. Again, acknowledging he's not a vegetarian. It's fine. And so he jumps across some different logs in the swamp to try to catch these gnats. And he lands on one and catches the snack. But before he can eat it, the log moves. And underneath him, we realize it's not a log, but it is a catfish gator. Very menacing. Looks mostly like a gator, but with yeah. a wider snout. Right. So even the creatures here, we were thinking like uh, maybe Florida Everglades swamp yeah. kind of feel, right? Because we, we have a gator. Yeah. Absolutely. And so the gator chases Momo, who has to fly low to the water to avoid those branches. Remember, said without a word, but we realize that that's the limitations that these flying creatures have. Um, but he swims... Um, the, the gator swims straight into Appa's open mouth unknowingly. And so Appa spits out the catfish gator, um, who roars at Appa, but a now much braver Momo behind his terrifying sidekick, uh, hisses back at him. He's like, ha, you can't beat Appa. Right. And then we go back to Katara. Katara is walking on her own through the morning light of the jungle swamp, and she's calling for Aang and Sokka this time. But as she's walking through the jungle, she sees a woman's silhouette in front of her. She calls out and she says, hello, can you help me? But as she walks closer, she sees Water Nation clothes and Water Nation hair, specifically the Southern Water Tribe. Mm -hmm. And she says, this looks like my mom. And so Katara starts running and, and yelling for her mom and she has tears in her eyes. But the woman turns into a tree stump as soon as she gets closer. So it was just a vision. And... There's a moment where Katara falls on her hands and knees and weeps and just the emotional toll that would be thinking that you see your mother who we think is dead. Right. And what's interesting is like it makes no sense that she would that her mother would be in this swamp. But there just is this like desperation Mm -hmm. and you see this thing. And yeah. Yeah. And then we go to Sokka and Sokka's slashing through the swamp again with his machete and he's angrily yelling for Aang and Katara. He has some great lines in this episode and he says, "Stupid swamp, dumb ugly vines, you think you're so tough, huh?" And he sees a glowing white spirit out in front of him. And the spirit has the form of UA, but when UA turned into the moon spirit and was mm-hmm. hovering above the oasis. And he says, "UA, no, this is just a trick of the light, swamp swamp gas." I hit my head running away last night. Uh, um, And so she says, though, in an echo, you didn't protect me and vanishes. So Sokka's trying to reason out why he might see this vision of UA. Um, And when she disappears, he turns around to keep going. He maybe feels like, yeah, okay, it was just, I'm just hungry. It's all in my head, yeah. Right. But then when he turns around, she reappears again and startles him before vanishing into um, into the air. Uh, And then we go to Aang, and Aang is alone too, and Aang also comes across a vision of a woman. But this girl is dressed in white, and she's accompanied by a flying pig. And that's the only point where we see a flying pig, right? Right. Like, it doesn't... Yeah, there are definitely things in the swamp that I'm not sure what I'm looking at. And I wonder if it's, like, have we seen creatures like that in the spirit world? It reminds me of that because the spirit world had in the background, you just had these strange creatures or huge creatures. Yeah. Like maybe this swamp has some. Spiritual connection or something. Yeah. Like it's almost like a natural bridge into the spirit world too. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. Um, Well, we also know that there are spirit world creatures who dwell in this world. So. Right. 
And the the flying pig is never explained, and it never comes back again in this episode, at least. Uh, but Aang sees this girl, and he calls to her, and he asks her name. But she giggles, and she runs off. So he starts chasing her through the jungle, and she's much quicker, and I think she can appear and reappear in all these different spots. So uh, Appa and Momo are still wading through the swap water. When they are approached uh, on the other side of the river by three river boats filled with those hunters that we had met before. And the hunters are surprised because they only saw Appa's track. They were surprised to see that he had a lemur friend as well. But they didn't really know what he was. So one of them said, oh, I think that's a lemu. (laughs) They called it a lemu. Uh, Saw one at a traveling show once. Real smart, they say. Bet he tastes like a lot of, or I bet he tastes a lot like possum chicken, said the other one. I got to say, the idea of a creature that's a cross between a possum and a chicken, I am super out on. You hate possums. I feel like we've talked about this Not before. Not a fan of possums. Air. And like, it's like you take a chicken, which some people are afraid of, and make it more terrifying by mixing it with a giant rodent. I'm out. I'm so, I don't, yeah. I hope we never see a possum chicken. Like, because you think like the... It would probably have the teeth of the possum, which possums have like crazy teeth. Yeah. And then the like talons of the chicken. Yeah. I think you get the tail and the and the head of the possum though. It's it's not good. Yeah. I'm not. And maybe it can fly over short distances. Like this is real bad. And like I wonder if it would be aggressive. Probably because it's a possum. Yeah. 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 Not. Gr- I wonder if people farm them in this world. I don't want to visit that farm. <laughs> be really scary that would turn me into a vegetarian (laughs) if this is all there was to eat so dew tries to coax appa near now because they want to eat appa and because they'd like to eat his lemur friend as well and he says come here we're just fixing to eat you like that's his way of coaxing appa over and at that appa roars and flies off and uh, another hunter says like what'd you say that for and he was like i didn't know that they would understand me uh, so Dew and the other hunters stand up on their boats and they begin waterbending to chase after Appa. We didn't realize that these no. folks were waterbenders. This was a huge revelation. Yeah, like in the middle of a earth, essentially like an earth kingdom or neutral territory. And they don't appear like the other waterbenders we've seen in terms of their clothes, in terms of their speech, in terms of the way they look. It's, yeah, it, this was, this was a big revelation actually. Yeah. If we're questioning this episode, this is a big piece. Yes, seriously. Uh, so, um, Aang then, though, we're back with Aang, and he's still in pursuit of this mysterious girl in white. And he thinks he's found her, and he begins, like, charging in her direction, telling her to wait. But he realizes too soon that it's actually Katara. And he bumps into her, and they both tumble to the ground. And Sokka hears Katara's scream, and he turns around, but it's too late, and he is also um, hit <laughs> by by Katara and Aang who run into him and they bump down um, into like a large tree root. And the trio realizes that they all saw visions of a girl. They, they were like, oh yeah, I came here because I, I saw my mom. And Aang said, I was chasing a girl. And Sokka says, look, we were all just scared and hungry and our minds were playing tricks on us. And uh, Katara goes, wait, you saw something too then Sokka. And he said, I thought I saw Yue, but that doesn't prove anything. Look, I think about her all the time. And you saw mom, someone you miss a lot. That was heartbreaking. I forgot about Yue. Mm-hmm. I forgot how traumatic that would have been for Sokka and that he thinks about her all of the time. 
But they realize that doesn't really explain Aang's vision. Right, because he doesn't know. It's it's not somebody that he's lost or somebody that he misses. Right. And somebody then, he knows even, yeah. Right. And then there was the kind of mystical element of the flying pig too. Like there's no explanation for Aang. So uh, all of the three apparitions, though, led the trio to the same place. They all had to chase those different forms. And they ended up at what looks like the center of the jungle. And it's marked by one enormous tree that was kind of like a tree of lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, like a, clearly a sacred tree. And Aang says, it's the heart of the swamp. It's been calling us here. I knew it. And Sokka said, it's just a tree. It can't call anyone. So and I, I love the way that, as we talked about, they've set up that I don't know whose side I'm on here. Right. Yeah. Because some some things have explanations, some things don't mm-hmm. so far. Uh, so Asaka grumbles that nothing really magical is happening in the swamp. A large swamp vine monster mm-hmm. uh, appears out of the water behind them. Uh, it's entirely made of vines. It has like a wooden mask as a face. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Ko. It, it it also reminds me of some of the spirit creatures we've seen. Mm-hmm. Like it's big and seems really powerful. Mm-hmm. And so so my first response was, "This is the swamp spirit." We've so I'm like, okay, well we've seen this kind of stuff before. Now we need to figure out like the high bay. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so all three of the trio yell and scream, and Ang airbends, Katara waterbends, and Sokka uses his machete to try to attack this monster, who is being obviously aggressive towards them. Uh, But uh, all of the vines can just grow back. Um, The roots just keep growing, and so it's continuing to fight. And the monster grabs Sokka in his arm and begins to absorb him into the vines. And so we see then for quite a bit of this episode, Sokka is unable to move inside of this vine monster. Mm Meanwhile, uh, the swamp hunters are chasing Appa and Momo through the waters. Um, So both sets are facing these different perils. And Momo is tossing items like bed mats and shirts out of the saddle to hit the different hunters. The practical side of me just thought, like, how can you get rid of your gear? I know, me too. But, like, this is is a thing in chase scenes all the time, right? Right, right. But I I just, like, I don't know. I got got worried because, like, one of the things he throws is a shirt. And it's like, well, they're going to need that, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah. Momo won't. That's true. <laughs> Momo doesn't care. He just wants Maybe to save his Maybe this is a statement about worldly goods. Like, oh, yes. They just weigh you down. <laughs> See, I love that you're also reading into all of Momo's actions That's right. now, too. It's all about the greater good. So he uh, is tossing these things out at the hunters and, like, smacking them in the face. And though one of the hunters said, now what would a lemu need a shirt for? And Appa slides under a low branch, uh, but... It knocks Momo off the saddle and into the arms and the bag of a hunter on one of the boats behind them. So now Momo's captured. Now we're back with the Aang trio and Aang is jumping on top of the vine monster and he airbends a tornado around it. It looked pretty similar to the tornado we saw at the start of the episode. Um, and he twists the vine, the vines and kind of temporarily stops the vine monster from moving because it's all twisted up. But it's still clinging on to Sokka. So then Katara tries, um, and she uses water bending to try to get Sokka out. So she's on this nearby branch and creates a ball of water and bends it onto Sokka in the vines. And then she uses her breath or her hands. I couldn't tell. Yeah, I can't tell either. But she was able to freeze that ball of water around him. And basically, like, her freezing it 
cut the vines that were surrounding Sokka as well. Um, And then she takes a wave of swamp water behind her and rides it into the heart of the vine monster and is able to uh, get Sokka freed. Um, There's like this big gaping hole inside the vine monster. But again, it just is able to kind of (laughs) like um, regrow all of those vines. Uh, So... Katara um, starts to slice at the monster's arms with these, like, water blades, um, and one after the other. But, again, the arms just keep growing back. But as she's slicing, she's making holes in the vine monster, and Sokka realizes that inside of it is a man who's bending the vines. So I was like, bending the vines, is that an earth or waterbender? Right? And we're going to learn it's a waterbender. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is super cool. I'd never thought about yeah. that. Which uh, means can an earth, can a waterbender when they're powerful enough bend anything that yeah. has water in it? Like, and like a person has water in it. Like we're. That was Mike's question when he watched this too. Yeah. He was like, what does this mean about the human body? Right. Terrifying. Like you can use living things as puppets. Yeah. Yeah. And we haven't seen, I mean, clearly this is just vines, right? But like we haven't seen water be used in a really dark way before. Right. Where, like, fire is so naturally that way. Super interesting. So um, Aang jumps in to finish the monster through airbending, and he yells, why did you call me here if you just wanted to kill us? Okay, so here's where I'm going to say what all of this reminds me of. Because so so we cut apart this this vine monster, and there's just a guy. It's a costume. Yeah. Functionally, this guy is wearing. This became a Scooby-Doo episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, isn't it like like there's this monster and everything seems magical and mystical, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but there's just a guy. It's more complicated than just <laughs> a guy in a costume. But this felt very yes. much like, because even Scooby-Doo would use those shots. That's why I didn't want to talk about it then, because this is what it reminded me of. Would use those shots where you would see through the eyes of the supposed monster or Absolutely. ghost or whatever. That's what this reminded me of. Yes, and the gang always splits up, mm-hmm. and you kind of have, like, the funny pair, which is usually, yep. like, Shaggy and Scooby, which yep. is, like, Momo and Appa, yep. and then you have the three that, like, are actually yeah. <laughs> yeah. more on top of things. Exactly. Wow. Oh, I love this. I could, oh, my gosh. Do you know that I, I, like, grew up solely watching Scooby, so yeah. now I'm just going to be seeing this the rest of the time. I kind of want to watch it again just as a Scooby-Doo episode. Me too. And you have all these, like, the glowing eyes. Mm-hmm. That is straight from Scooby. Yep. Like, anytime there's a forest, you see glowing bat eyes or whatever. This is why I didn't want to say it right away, because I, I, it would just shape the rest of the episode. Oh, okay. I love it so much. Um, so this man who's in the center of the vines... Um, He's also wearing the Swamp Hunter clothes, too. And um, he says he didn't call them at all. And Sokka reveals that Aang is the avatar. So Aang is kind of like, uh, he's like, well, I heard a call. Mm -hmm. And Sokka's like, well, that happens a lot. Like, you're the avatar. Right. And so when the man hears that, he immediately says, like, follow me. I have something to show you. Very trusting of these three to do that. They're in the middle of a jungle. So the trio climbs the sacred swamp tree and they near kind of the topmost point. So they have this uh, perspective of the entire swamp Um, and they're following the man and they're kind of asking some questions of him who he is. And he says, I protect the swamp from people who want to hurt it like this fellow with the big knife. So he's kind of like the Lorax. 
Oh. Right? It speaks for the trees, yeah. protects, the, protects the trees. Little, little Lorax-y vibes. Okay, this episode is getting better and better the more we talk about it, I think. So Sokka says, see, completely reasonable, not a monster, just a regular guy defending his home. And the man said, oh, oh, no, the swamp is mystical. It's sacred. I reached enlightenment right here under the banyan grove tree. I heard it calling me just like you did. See, the whole swamp is actually just one tree spread out over miles. Branches spread, then sink and take root, and then spread some more. One big living organism, just like the entire world. Are you familiar with banyan trees? No. So this is a thing. Like, okay. Um, and they, they grow... It it seems like they now again this is Wikipedia research so <laughs> bear with me, but it seems like they first grow onto another tree, and then they grow and they spread like this and they spread back down and back up. So like the they're the biggest the oldest banyan trees are as old. I mean the oldest that they can prove whatever is like two hundred and forty years old, but they think there are some that are as old as five hundred years old. Wow and. The biggest ones spread almost five acres, like one one plant that just it, so functionally it is a whole jungle, but it is really one. That's wild. One, yeah, one tree. It like creates its own ecosystem. Exactly. That's exactly. so cool. And so, so these are viewed in in Eastern religions as really sacred. So in Hinduism and Buddhism. And oh, so is other it like a East? East Asian or South Asian, like, yes. type of yep. tree? Yep. Okay. Yeah. They've grown some in other places. Like, a, there's a big one in Florida, but oh. it's not natural to there. Like, they they brought it there. Um, sure. but, but it's really grown a lot. So, if, they're beautiful to look at because they just look like this whole world and it's all one one big thing. So so what he's talking about in this in this episode like that that that's actually a real phenomenon. Oh cool. I bet Sokka would like that that's a real yeah. phenomenon. <laughs> so Ing says, uh, I get how the tree is one big thing, but the whole world. And the man says, You think you're any different from me or your friends or this tree? At which I was like bold claim to say that to the Avatar. But he continues and says, If you listen hard enough, you can hear every living thing breathing together. You can feel everything growing. We are all living together, even if most folks don't act like it. We all have the same roots, and we are all branches of the same tree. That's really interesting to think about, like, the, the commonality of, like, humanity. Even you think about, like, when you think of tree, when you said that, I started to think of, like, family tree. Yeah. It's like, if you go back far enough, are we not all the same, you yeah. know? It's also interesting coming after the last episode where we have such animosity towards different people groups Mm -hmm. and to then go and Aang is seeing that uh, and then but like brings back Tom Tom Mm -hmm. to the governor right and like it's an olive branch essentially right and so to be like I am not that kind of person and then to go meet this enlightened person in the middle of the jungle who's like reinforcing that idea Mm -hmm. I like that pair yeah and we move from this is this person we were just fighting with to now it's like oh we're all the same and we're all connected and we're all part of this same tree the same system yeah I I think it's really really cool Mm -hmm. so Katara then asks what the visions meant and he says in the swamp we see visions of people we've lost people we loved folks we think are gone but the swamp tells us they're not we're still connected to them Time is time is an illusion, and so is death. That's Ooh. that's a, a big interesting statement to to, to think about. And so uh, it's not exactly mission statement, but this feels like a hammer of wisdom that 
Um, you know, we started this episode by saying, well, if the things that they're actually talking about here are going to play forward, then this becomes a powerful episode. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to remember time is an illusion and so is death. This seems like a really important line. And we're going to see in a minute that it's important um, uh, that Aang's going to already start to interpret some things here. Yep. But I want to pay attention to, like, how much does Aang learn this and how much does he utilize this idea? I mean, like, he embodies this entirely as an avatar, too. Like, mm-hmm. the rebirth cycle, um, the fact that he can, like, hold memories from previous lifetimes. Mm-hmm. That he can talk to past versions of himself yeah or even as even the like the non-avatar part of Aang where it's like so much of him is built on his memory of Gyatso mm-hmm. and like that that person lives in him you know and- or even the fact that he is a, a 112 year old <laughs> that's in a 12 year old's body yeah. that is the the hundred times over reincarnated version it's like he is all he is all of this mm-hmm. yeah if anybody can understand this Aang should oh yeah and he does like pretty quickly Aang wonders why he didn't recognize the girl he saw though but then he realizes time is an illusion so it's someone I will meet and the man nods which is awesome I know. it's this idea so now now we can start looking for this person too and start to come back to the things that we saw the person looked like ang age young girl too mm-hmm. so it's like mm-hmm. something to think about as we move ahead but Sokka interrupts this revelation and says they need to find momo and appa right away and so ang has an idea and he reaches down onto the tree and uh, he touches one of the branches and he starts to trace its energy through its roots to locate their animal friends. It's like he taps into the tree internet and it's just like, oh, I'm just going to do a little search for Appa and yeah, Appa it, and Momo. It does kind of look like a hacker scene. It does. Movie. It does. In the way in the 90s they would they would depict the internet is very much yes. this tree. <laughs> so, um he is able to locate them through the roots of the tree. Uh, he sees them in the swamp being live trapped by hunters. So he sees Appa in this large net um and Momo in in that bag. And so the trio rushes off to try to help with the enlightened man man uh, following behind. So uh, the waterbending swamp hunters are floating through the water and they're towing Appa in their net and they're merrily singing about their catch for the day and about feeding things to cat gators. But uh, their merriment is stopped by Aang who slices at their boats with air. And Katara starts to fight too, but it's just for a split second because she realizes that the hunters are defending themselves by using waterbending as well. So they are uh, are essentially family. Mm-hmm. And she said, hey, you guys are waterbenders. And they said, you too? That means we're kin. And Katara looks very less than thrilled at the thought of being kin with the swamp hunters. Uh, and both she, both she and Sokka say some things in this episode that feels a little um, judgy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but the enlightened man then rushes in behind the trio and he sees the hunters and they call him by name. So they all know each other and they say, hi, Hugh, where have you been? And Hugh says, oh, you know, scared some folks, swung some vines, the usual. <laughs> Just another day at the office for Hugh. <laughs> Uh, and Sokka goes, Hugh, like, we never knew your name. This doesn't feel like an enlightened man's name, perhaps. Right. So uh, it's nightfall, and uh, the reunited Aang gang in full are around a fire with Hugh, Du, Tho, and the rest of the swamp benders, as well as a couple cat gators that are laying around the fire. And uh, they're eating possum chicken. And Sokka likes it. And he says, why are you guys so interested in eating Abba? 
And he gestures to this cat gator lying by the fire. And he's like, you got plenty of those big things wandering around. And Dew says, you want me to eat old Slim? He's like a member of the family. And he tosses Slim a fish, which I was like, is this vegetarian propaganda? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Just say one of the writers has to be vegetarian, right? You would think so. To be like, it doesn't matter. An animal's an animal. You eating it is a cultural thing, right? Yeah, but they're going to eat Appa. Yeah, but it's no different. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, I like see what you're saying. Yeah. me eating a chicken is no different than me eating a dog. It just depends on your perspective. Gotcha. Right. I'm reading into this. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. You also like to project Momo as a vegetarian, <laughs> which he's clearly, clearly <laughs> I not. have acknowledged that he is not. He is still one of my favorite characters, despite his meat-eating flaws. <laughs> I lost so many listeners on that one. <laughs> Okay, so um, anyway, they continue to talk about kind of their culture, their background. Um, they share about their homes. And the swamp benders are just as curious about where Katara and Sokka came from as well. And Katara said, "Our, you know, where we're from, it's more full of ice and snow. And the swamp benders go, hmm, no wonder you left. And Sokka then decides to have his classic I told you so moment where he says, guys, you see, nothing is mystical here. It's just a bunch of greasy people living in a swamp. Nice, Sokka. Say that yeah. literally in front of the quote, greasy right. people. But they also seem like they would be nonplussed by that. Oh, they're chill. Yeah. Uh, and so Aang says, but what about when the tree showed up? Uh, the tree showed me where Appa and Momo were and Sokka's like that's Avatar stuff that doesn't count I love that that now scientific Sokka can just write stuff off as like yeah but then there's like the Avatar category and that stuff can be whatever but then everything else has got to be <laughs> spirit but, world blah blah but that is actually how we do things yes. right you, you mean even deeply religious people especially in the west are like well there's scientific explanations for everything, but then there's also like the spiritual category and I keep those things separate. So actually, I mean, I, I appreciate this in Sokka that he's really trying to hold all understandings of experience together. Oh, absolutely. So um, Sokka does have one thing left over that he can't understand. Apparently he forgot about the floating orb that is still in my mind. But he says, um, how was it that Hugh was able to make the tornado to strike them down because that's airbending. And he says, I can't do anything like that. I just bend the water in the plants. Um, so uh, Sokka says one last time that, you know, there's nothing magical, especially weather-related tornadoes. That was just a, a fluke tornado. Uh, but as he says that, the screaming bird appears on, the far, on a far-off branch and shrieks again, and a tree branch slaps at it. And then we're done with the swamp. Right. Now, I, let's talk about the tornado. What is your thoughts with that then? Is that the power of the swamp? I honestly didn't even really think about it. Um, I I was thinking if Aang is really being drawn here, mm. right? Like, let's say the swamp is calling to Aang because I'm open to that, right? And then it the tornado appears when Aang starts to leave. So it could be that consciously Aang is saying, okay, I'm going to do what my friends wants. But subconsciously or unconsciously, he knows he's supposed to go there because the tornado, the only time we see stuff like that, it feels like, seems like the stuff Aang does. So it could be that Aang actually created the tornado to pull them down to it, like a part of him. Which, yeah. So that would open the door up for sort of subconscious or unconscious bending. And I think Sokka would be on board with that explanation for it uh, as like another avatar thing, right? I wonder... They end the swamp with showing 
a branch hit at one of those birds, right? <gasps> and that's something that we don't know who's controlling that. You know, like it could be that Hugh is controlling it from over there, right? Like across yeah. the or, pond. Or it could be that the swamp is alive. Right. And I I think that the swamp is alive. And I think that nature nature wants the avatar to succeed too. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be it wouldn't bother me at all if the tornado was something like a natural phenomenon that knew the avatar was there and sent it in the direction it needs to go because like the avatar restores everything including nature almost like uh the, there's like a bible verse it's like all creation yearns for mm-hmm. restoration i could see that being the case too well and if nature can be bent then can't nature bend itself yeah yeah right yeah yeah and i mean we- i'm open to all of these things i actually kind of like that we didn't get Instead of getting uh, an explanation one way or the other, or the other, we just sort of got like, "Yeah, that was weird," and yeah. like left it at that. And like, cool, I'm happy with that. Some I'm things okay. can't be explained, yeah. right? Yeah, or or or, in, or just can't be known, right? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I really, I'm I'm open to sort of, uh, yeah, kind of almost like epistemological debates about how do we know and and and, and yeah, and and where do things come from? I'm I'm very I'm very into that here, and I, yeah. so I like the open question. So is this the end of the episode? No, you think it is, right? It seems it like a good like ending. It, it kind of ends on like a funny, lighthearted moment. But no, so we're back with Zuko and Iroh. We're back in that village, right? Uh, but the only person that we see is that village jerk. And he is out on a walk on, on his own in an alley. But he, like the Aang gang earlier, senses that someone is watching him. And so he flings around and he pulls out his sword and he tries to look around for where the danger is coming from, but he can't see. He can't see anything. But his arm is grabbed by a man who's in the shadows, who throws the village jerk easily to the ground. And the camera pans up slowly to see the shadow figure grab two swords lying on the ground. And we see that he's wearing a mask. So the blue spirit is back. I love this. I love this because even so, even if you looked at this episode and you're not a big fan of it, you get... We get reintroduced and re-energized by a re-energized Zuko. Yep. Right? That Zuko seems down and depressed, but the blue spirit is still this this figure of action and... Yeah. yeah. Avenging his uncle, too. Like, and, and arming himself. Yeah. And uh, did you notice at the start of the episode, there's a cart with masks on it? I didn't. One of the things passing by, I think it's in the foreground so much that it's like blurry, but there's a, a cart with masks. So it makes me wonder, like... Did did he use some of the coins from Iroh to buy a new mask that looks like his old one? Or has he held on to this thing this whole time? I could see either option. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it is interesting because now that we say this, the clothes he's wearing is are the Blue Spirit clothes. Oh, yeah. I could see him holding on to it. And like that mm-hmm. has its own metaphor too, right? Like Absolutely. Clinging to this this part of him that's yeah. maybe weighing him down. I love this ending because they were. it was like the, the, sh- the writers were saying – Oh, don't forget this. Don't forget about this. This is going to come back and maybe it's going to come back right away. I love the blue spirit versus Azula. I love the blue spirit <laughs> racing with Azula for to get the avatar. I love now really Iroh can just be the the Alfred to the blue spirits Batman. I love all these little pieces. There is part of me though that's like I didn't feel good about what Zuko did to the village jerk. The he is a jerk. Mhm. But Iroh seemed fine. 
there didn't seem to be a need to lash out. I don't know. See, I don't even, well, I I don't necessarily see this as revenge as much as I see it. I feel uh, about it in a way, the way I feel about him taking the ostrich horse. Sure. Which is, he's like, I need to recreate, uh, I need to create a new way of being here. Now, he takes the swords from somebody who's uh, a lot more reprehensible than Song and her and her mother, <laughs> yeah. right? But but it's the same idea where the, these two episodes both end with him taking a kind of agency and saying, I am going to claim things. Yeah. And I am going so, and I'm going to empower myself. Now he does it through stealing in both both cases, right? But right, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how often he's going to use it. Like it can't just be a little moment because he doesn't have like like his alter ego is so uh, almost zero now. Like you know, if we think of Zuko as the Blue Spirit's alter ego, like Zuko's got nothing. Zuko is powerless because he can't use the power that he has. In the mask, he can use firebending if he wants. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, I love that they had the mask card at the beginning. Those were great. Bookends. Yeah, I'm actually going to go back and watch that scene just because I, I just because I want to see that. It's so what brief. what are our big along with uh, with the blue spirit being back? Um, what what are other observations themes you see from this episode? Uh, we have um, explaining like mysticism, the kind of the mystical science debate yeah yeah or or complicating it i think right right because yes. it, it's, it's less polar now than yeah um, than it seemed earlier you could lean on either side if you wanted to and you can exist in the middle which is where the show really wants to place itself yeah. I think. and kind of where ang is too i think yeah i mean i think the the big one of the big knowledge pieces here is time is an illusion yeah um and and then so who is that girl so we have somebody to look for we mm-hmm. have this idea of time is an illusion uh, we have this idea of the the internet of connected things, right? Um, which we see Aang instinctively, almost automatically tap into uh, with the banyan tree. But I'm wondering, is this a power he's going to use at any other point? Um, there was another theme that I think just makes sense out of the context of well, everyone here knows that we dropped um, the special Christmas gift episode, mm-hmm. right? Of uh, uh, last airbender movie it was very refreshing to see this to have katara have uh, to be clever to be the one that's able to basically get rid of the vine monster Mm -hmm. mostly on her own and also the fact that everyone that they lost i think there's a lot of importance with the people that they chose because all these individuals have lost so many people Mm -hmm. ang didn't see somebody that he's lost that he knows of right it's somebody that maybe he's met in his past or maybe he will meet he thinks he will meet, right? But then they're all three women, too. And, like, mm-hmm. the importance of female characters is, like, really shaping who each of these are. Yue, Katara's mom, random girl we don't know yet. I just really like that coming out of The Last Airbender where women didn't have a voice at all. Right. And they seem to be intentionally shut off from yes. having a voice and it had it taken oh. away. Uh, <laughs> other things we learned that there are waterbenders in other places. Yeah. I love Which that. also speaks to connectedness too, right? This idea that like, uh, you know, if we're all connected as part of the same tree, that even if bending is a tree, that there are, that Katara and, and Sokka, who look so different and seem culturally so different than these swamp mm-hmm. swamp folks, like that they're, 
they are kin that they're they are related like that was a, that was another way to sort of put that message across i also liked the point you made about the writers trying to play with whether they can have silence or whether they can have non-speaking characters move a story along without needing to explicitly state the actions that are happening. Yeah. You know, another thing that made me think of, I've been listening to the office ladies podcast, um, which they break down every office episode. And one of the things that they talk about on there is that the, the writers um, would play games with episodes where they would break people off into unique pairings that you like wouldn't expect just to sort of see what happens and it seems like that's a game they're playing here too. Um, and so I'm like, I'm now I'm curious, like, like what's the pairing that we that you would most want to see? Me? Yeah. Zuko and Momo. <laughs> that would be really interesting. Or <laughs> super weird. <laughs> I really do think like 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 Iro and Aang would be oh. really interesting. Or Iro and Katara. Mm-hmm. I think he would oh, be yeah. so just yeah. refreshing for her. Uh huh. Or what if there was something where you had. Zuko and Sokka. Oh, yeah. That would be really interesting. It'd be a different energy. Yeah. But their energies could kind of match each other. And, like, I could see that being, like, an interesting duo. And, like, very capable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So so I, I, I'm actually hoping that as we go forward, we get crosses up, we get matches, we get some of this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And we had some moments of them on their own, which I also like, too. Like, I th- have we seen much of Aang on his own? I guess he's run off on his own. In yeah, there are times. there are little bits, but it's but the energy is mostly how do I get back to them? Right. Yeah. And we in the spirit world we see him alone for sure. Yes, true. I I like moments when they're not all together and they realize that they need each other so much mm-hmm. for all these different reasons. I think it gets really hard storytelling wise because even notice like we have we go episodes where it's like this was an Azula free episode. We've had mm-hmm. Zuko free episodes. So if you split people up, it means you end up probably ending up with episodes where it's like yeah we're just not gonna have Sokka in this episode right you know and and that could be tough I don't know I also don't know how traumatic that is on little kids like (laughs) true you know yeah yeah they would need more time than just like four or five minutes to explain that yeah in in an episode yeah (laughs) I'm so excited so I ultimately really liked this episode I I when we started again I you know I I introduced the idea that this is a, a low rated episode but I think, especially if it delivers on some of these ideas, I think it's really, really, really interesting. Yeah. And can I just say to the listeners, remember, I know some of what happens. I know, and especially talk to my husband, Mike, who has watched it more closely and more recently. The first episodes in this season are a lot slower. They have some lower ratings. It gets intense as we keep going. So, like, keep listening. Keep If these have been slow or not really your thing, like, man... The next 15, 16 episodes are killer. Because I will say, as we look at the um, lowest rated episodes, like we're, we've actually seen most of them. Yeah. Uh, the majority of we've seen. Oh, and it's um, so good. The, oh, I tell you, this season's my favorite. And we're going to see why. All right. Uh, do we have a guest this week? <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, a former student of mine. Um, and you know her through uh, podcasting. Yes, because uh, I, produce a, I produce one of her podcasts. Yeah. Alice Hong. She is excellent. I'm so excited. Um, I could talk to her forever. So here we go. Our guest today is Bethel Jr., Alice Hung. Uh, she is the host of the More Than a Single Story podcast, uh, so which is uh, a podcast here at Bethel. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what your podcast is? Yeah, so... Uh... 
I'm the executive director of United Cultures of Bethel, and my team basically just decided to do a podcast to feature um, student voices, faculty voices that are usually unheard. And I think especially coming in from this summer of a lot of like political and racial tension, we really wanted to lean into that and have this space for us to have a dialogue. So yeah, that's what the podcast is about. <laughs> Very cool. And there's there's three episodes so far in there. It's fantastic. Oh, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Can't recommend it enough. It's <laughs> yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, and that's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, kind yep. of wherever you get wherever mm-hmm. you get podcasts. Alice, you're not here to talk about that, but you're here <laughs> because you're a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes. Um, and so we just want to, we love talking with people who love Avatar, um, uh, what is your history with the show? Did you watch this like when you were like when it first came out? Were you watching it as, as a little as a little kid? Was this something you came across later? How did you encounter first encounter the show? Yeah, I probably started watching it when it first came out on like Nickelodeon or something. Oh, okay, like when it, did it come out weekly? Yes, you watched it, it then. Yes, but. I well, I was so little. I didn't really keep up with the whole timeline. It was just like, oh, cool. There's action and adventure at every episode. It wasn't like, ooh, like I see these themes of imperialism and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be amazing if, if like four year old you was doing that. Yeah, I actually thought um, the show was a little scary, so I didn't. I wasn't super into it like I was this summer. <laughs> How many times do you think you've watched through? Like, have you watched it since you were older? No, well, like, okay, so the show kind of went viral on TikTok, you know, like, a lot of people were, like, cosplaying these characters, so I was like, oh, I don't remember anything about it, so I rewatched it for the very first time, like, from episode one to the very last episode this summer, mm-hmm. so I was, it's pretty fresh in my mind, but yeah. What was it like watching it, uh, being a little bit older, you know, being a college student, like what what was different watching it as an adult? Hmm, I think kind of what I touched on earlier is that I was picking up on these themes of like, wow, there's like cultures that are trying to be conserved, but then, you know, touching on like imperialism and colonization of the Fire Nation and like people running away as refugees. Like it was just so like, like less of a kids show and more of like oh i see stuff like this in the world right now (laughs) seriously yeah the parallels between like real world issues especially yeah refugees and Mm. displacement and the collapsing of culture yeah it 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 like i didn't remember crying at any of the episodes like when i was younger but i definitely did like rewatching it this summer i was so sad in some moments oh me too like i none of the episodes so far but oh sam i will tell Are you they're coming they're coming <laughs> season 2 has some rough episodes and i did cry i like <laughs> actually cried um so what uh we were talking a little bit before uh we went on air about um some of the cultures of the different kingdoms can you talk a little bit about that because i know you have done some like tiktok research or (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um i told you a little bit earlier so i know that the fire nation is like heavily inspired by japan and i think that's so cool because um japan like his if you're a history buff you know they colonized basically all of asia and like imperialized and all of that stuff so reading about how the producers aligned those cultures in that way i think was uh, amazing and um the character song 
was it with yeah. the burned leg mm-hmm. um like the fact that she had a full-on hanbok on which is just korean traditional clothing with the earthbending nation um being heavily inspired by eastern china or korean culture i think just shows how much it parallels to the real world like it's crazy how accurate some of the things in the shows are <laughs> yeah even that they like it's not even like culturally similar or historically, but also geographically too. Like you were mm. saying that Japan is like, or um, the the Fire Nation islands and like kingdoms are meant to look like Japan, right? And like um, East China or Korean landscapes of like mountainous and agrarian, like that is what we see in the Earth Kingdom too. Super fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So when you watch the show, are there specific characters that you find yourself drawn to? Oh, Oh, okay. Well, I love Zuko. Everybody loves Zuko. <laughs> oh, well, everybody hates him the first se- the first book, but everybody loves him after it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love Zuko and Iroh. They're like, oh, such a pair. And I like got um, goosebumps when, I don't know if you've watched this episode yet, when they like cut their hair and they yes. like mm-hmm. throw it in the river. It's such an iconic moment because it's like, I feel like that's the culmination of when when they like admit themselves that they're like exiled from the Fire Nation and I don't know I just feel like well Zuko has a traumatic past and the development that you see him go through is just amazing as a watcher yeah yeah, yeah. I mean one of the things that I always look for uh, as we're walk as we're walk walking our way through this show is like kind of mission statement moments and that definitely was was one where when season one ends you have these questions about because it ends with them floating away just on <laughs> debris and you're like i don't know what's gonna happen but clearly like bridges have been burned and mm-hmm. and then and that, that's that's is that the first episode of season two i think it is yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. um and and so so when that happens it's like okay now they are on a different journey and where we're at right now we don't really know where that or that we <laughs> where that journey is is headed we don't really yeah. get a lot of zuko and iroh so i have a feeling in the weeks to come we're going to circle back to them and i'm I would say this this is a very pro Iro podcast. It um, is. I think he's I think he's the hero of the show so far for us. And I just want him to adopt me. Yeah. Oh man, I wish he was my grandpa. Like I if I could go like come back home from a rough day and Iro's just in the kitchen making tea for me, like that would just be like the best day of my life. So calming. I feel like nothing matters, right? Like nothing truly matters. Yeah. We are here existing. <laughs> right. The thing about Iroh is that he's like this like badass like warrior, like in war. Like wasn't his nickname like Dragon of the West. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what the heck? He's this like warrior type of dude, but also he has he's like chilling out in the spa and like drinking tea. Like music <laughs> nights. He has music nights. You know? <laughs> it's like this guy is so great. I um I really also liked that moment of cutting off the hair too because it felt like all first season it's like those two characters, well mostly Zuko, is like struggling against being exiled mm. and now it's like both have decided they made a choice, right? And it was like Zuko's action first to to make a choice to like live into the exile and to actually deny community and then like Iroh followed suit as like a good uncle would, right? And like everything that Zuko does, Iroh even if he doesn't agree with it or if he knows like the 
implications of that Mm -hmm. he still does it it's so sweet yeah iroh's like the dad that zuko just never had i like when i saw the scene with the agni kai where um zuko gets burned by his dad like what it was such a shocking moment to me i was like i don't remember seeing this as a kid (laughs) yes and iroh's like in the audience watching and cringing it's so sad he was the only one like cringing everybody else was like they're like cheering yeah (laughs) i I also it's interesting thinking about about both iroh and zuko and then we've just been introduced now in the last few episodes to azula Um, but what's interesting and that response is the right one what's interesting is the way that we get first introduced to her is before we see her we have um zuko talking to ang uh when they're in the when uh zuko has captured ang and they're in the north pole Mm. right And, and he talks about her as like the person who everything comes easy to and he's sort of comparing ang and azula in that way so i i that's the lens through which I realize this is how much I associate with Zuko is that's the lens through which I keep associating Azula. Like we all know those people where it's just like, man, everything just seems to come naturally to you. Mm-hmm. And, and she uh, moves through the world with a kind of ease and she wields her power with a kind of ease. Uh, and that's, it's really interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see. So here I'm projecting out, you know, that, <laughs> that the show likes to parallel um, or mirror Zuko and Aang. Mm-hmm. There's lots of episodes where it's like you're seeing them both kind of, and it'll even cut back and forth to them almost doing the same thing in a different setting. Um, I'm curious about if we're going to see through Zuko's eyes at least parallels between Azula and Aang because he made those parallels in that episode. So mm-hmm. I feel like well, with Zuko, the parallels between Zuko and Aang, you'll definitely see an episode they actually like train with dragons do you uh, and they like dance together mm. like you'll get to that episode but definitely like there are parallels between zuko and Aang. i almost feel like with azula though she's kind of like the yang to ang's yin like mm-hmm. she's very like opposite but also so maybe mirrors rather than yes, parallels yeah yes. yeah where you're getting the flip side version of it yeah yeah i also feel like azula just grew up so differently from ang like ang grew up in a carefree like air temple and azula was like groomed to be this like mm-hmm. vicious monster sometimes i forget that she's only like 14 or 13 and right. like book 12 she, i mean book two she acts like she's this like a uh, general conqueror to like <laughs> rid the evil of good like yeah she's ruthless she's yeah oh my gosh when you get to the final episode oh azula she like she's like crazy <laughs> so is there a certain we always ask this is there a fire or is there a nation that you would most want to be a part of or a culture that you're most oh. interested in within the series um maybe one like you wish you could take a day and walk among the people and just kind of observe and like eat the food and speak the language oh yes yes um (laughs) i'm a little ashamed (laughs) but i okay i've taken so many of the freaking like what nation would you be a part of tests because we have two (laughs) i just want to change my fate like why do I have to identify with the air nomads? Like, it always says I'm in the air nation, and I don't want to be in the air nation. Why not? 
I just, I don't know. <laughs> well, to be fair, it, it maybe maybe there's more to come, but like we don't get a full picture of the mm-hmm. air people. We get a picture of their temples, which can't be everything because they're only men, right? Like it's like like there's in, a unless, element. Now missing. we have a biology major here. Unless the biology and avatar <laughs> is different, there's got to be more to this culture than we see. Yeah, I. Yeah, apparently my characteristics are more in line with the air nomads, but I think I would love to like go to a Fire Nation festival. Yes. Like it just looks so cool and people like breathing fire into the air. Yeah. It's just really awesome. And I think there's some clips of when they show like the street food and it kind of reminds me of like Korea, like city street food. Oh, like the hot food in the carts and yeah. Yes, I don't know. It just looks really fun. Like um, warm and inviting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that kind of contra- contrasts with like what their military is doing. I feel like the Fire Nation themselves don't even know how like malicious that their nation yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even with like world powers, it always like the culture always looks really advanced or interesting mm-hmm. or inviting, but then there's like this underbelly that not maybe everybody sees. And I think that's actually a really insightful thing that the show does is is it makes this separation between this military regime and their policies uh, external to their country. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily speak to the country and the culture itself, which mm-hmm. tells you that the Fire Nation doesn't didn't have to go in that direction. Like, mm-hmm. what would the Fire Nation have been like pre sozin like maybe they weren't as militant and things like you know like like yeah. you know there 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 mm. are, are other directions they could go similar question but in a little different direction so that was about the culture now we're going to talk about power ah. <laughs> if you could be a bender what kind of bender would you want to be oh an earth bender really okay why um have you met the character toff yet oh not yet not yet no okay i just okay i think earthbenders just feel i love how they can like feel the ground that they're on Mm -hmm. and like even if kind of like um toff so she's a character that's blind she like feels the earth even when she is blind she can't see anything i just love the fact that like you're connected with all the other elements through earth Mm-hmm. Also, I might be biased because Earth is heavily inspired by Korean culture. <laughs> yeah, I I also really wanted to be an Earthbender after that one episode with Haru. I think that's his mm-hmm. name. Oh yeah, when they like break out of that the gym. prison. Yeah, that oh my gosh, and then they yeah it was it was so cool how they all worked together to build this like rock wall and like yeah, <laughs> and we won't spoil any endings or anything but i know that we have a haru katara shipper in the room yeah that's Is that right sam yeah I, I, it's, it's the thing it's the thing that and again i've only seen through <laughs> through episode 24 it's the thing I don't like about Aang Katara shipping is like I actually really like haru <laughs> katara so cool yeah i like and and i feel like they have some similar trauma and like i think they could be really good for each other in that way now i don't think it's going to go that direction but i would be really happy also with that. all of the men are just like fawning over katara i feel like there's a lot of different potential 
like relationships that could you know mm-hmm. yeah. there's Haru there's who's the guy that um Jet yes thank you Jet <laughs> okay come and, on uh, what <laughs> Jet would not be Jet Katara would not be good but at the start she was very infatuated yeah but that that no that wouldn't work <laughs> by the end yeah but, I want no. the best for Katara <laughs> there also um did you know that there's like people that hate on Katara what really because. Yeah, it's kind of like this meme that all Katara talks about is like her trauma with losing her mom. So people are like, get over it. Like there was like a huge meme about it on Instagram. That is actually monstrous. (laughs) Like, yeah. Get over it. They're like, Sokka doesn't talk about his dead mom as much as Katara does. That's because he has toxic masculine problems. And he has, oh. Yeah, he has bottled all of this up. And when he's like 50, it's all going to come out in really bad ways. Like, we know how this works. You know, I'm part Irish. I know how I know how this bottling up works. It's not It's not good. Feel nothing. Yeah, but I, I personally didn't like Aang and Katara either because Aang's like, 11 or 12 like he <laughs> true, just seems true. like a kid he acts like a kid yeah that's true yeah. i always forget the the age gap well the let's remember the age gap is actually 98 <laughs> years because he's way older <laughs> true it's very confusing <laughs> um man any other questions sam uh, i actually yeah i'm curious are there other things that you've read watched that you have the same kind of affinity for or that avatar mm. reminds you of is there are there other tv s- show books yeah mm. because i think and i'll vamp while you're thinking you know because i think one of the things that i love about avatar is the world building right mm. that i mean even in this conversation we keep bringing up these like tertiary characters <laughs> that are great yeah. and they're rich characters and i keep thinking man i hope we come back to yeah teo i want to see teo again i want to know more about that world i want to know more about because it starts with these four kingdoms, but then you get within them and you get like mm-hmm. the warriors of Kyoshi and like, <laughs> well, that's like a whole different subculture within a culture. Yep. And so like, I'm curious if you've encountered other things where you're like, this reminds me of Avatar, at least in terms of either the storytelling or the world building or anything like that. Or maybe Avatar mm-hmm. is a one of one and it's just, there isn't anything like it. Man, I don't know. I feel like... Well, maybe there are some, like, books or series out there, but I feel like Avatar's, like, so unique. Like, I've just never seen a show that um, is so good at delivering, like, um, the message of, like, the bad things of life, but mm-hmm. also, like, the things that should be cherished, but in a kid-friendly way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's... I can't think of anything. Yeah. It's I, feel, like, I feel like it takes... Uh, like a rational scientific view seriously. It takes a religious view seriously. Mm. I mean, I love the stuff where, which we've talked about this, where Sokka really, there's moments when he we get scientific Sokka, right? Like he's trying to think rationally about things, but at the same time, Sokka's been to the spirit world, mm. right? I mean, the oh, Heibai yeah. took him there. So like <laughs> he has, he contains all of these different experiences and Aang is, it's not it's not mythological that he is the bridge to the spirit world. He's the bridge to the spirit <laughs> world, but at the same time you get the fortune teller episode and they're skeptical of the fortune teller. Mm-hmm. Like I don't find that that 
those paradoxes really interesting too. I love how, um, also, sorry, I just got reminded because you were talking about Sokka and then you said he was like toxic masculinity. <laughs> um, I love how Sokka like tells um, Katara that she can't like waterbend because she's a girl, but then he meets the Kyoshi warriors like Suki and he's like, whoa, girls can be like warriors too. Yeah. I feel like maybe making more parallels to like real life other than like other books or series, mm-hmm. it just like... I don't know. It's kind of like little life lessons in itself within each episode. Yeah. Absolutely. I think about, too, I, I always draw the connection. Yours is Star Wars. That's what you right. always look And oh. I always go to Harry Potter. <laughs> oh. But I like that you said it's uh, talking about these bad things, but doing it in a way that is bright and joyful, too, mm. where it seems like some series, especially for kids like Harry Potter or Hunger Games or something, is more like it's darker and there's not the light too do you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying? 100% no because because it's like in order for it to be serious and important it has to get dark right but it but this is sort of showing maybe you maybe it actually can walk that balance a little bit better mm-hmm. because as you said ang is still ang like ang is still a kid right. and and ang from the sec first or second episode he's there reminding katara she's still a kid mm-hmm. right ang brings us fun ang brings us hope right that that it's it's a deeply hopeful show um now one of the things it does to do that is it often will resolve conflicts within the episode <laughs> but i think that's actually pretty like pretty good for kids i'm actually curious what it will look like especially with this on netflix now and this is not only a a big deal with uh, folks your age, right? So you're, I'm guessing, 20, 21, something yeah. like that, right? <laughs> but I have nieces and nephews who are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 who have devoured this show. <laughs> and I'm so interested to see how does this impact generations as they grow up? Because it is teaching, I think, these really important and positive lessons about uh, about cultures, about... Uh, inclusion about you know all of these different things um so i i'm actually curious 10 12 years from now like how important this show will be as people as we have multiple sub generations who've kind of grown up on it will be really interesting to see yeah even the way that like harry potter was influential for me star Mm -hmm. wars is influential for you Mm -hmm. like it shapes the way that we see the world Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i've heard even my friends like make posts on social media like like you guys have to show this to your kids like when we're older like it teaches a lot on like um refugee movements like imperialism like Mm -hmm. um cultures being annihilated and like trying to save this culture like i it just i feel like it's it's always going to be relevant to the issues that are going around in the world today and that's what i love about this show is that you know if you don't if you can watch it as a kid it's like oh great fun adventure but also you can kind of lean into it and maybe ask like the kids like what do you what do you think like the earth villagers felt when the fire nation like attacked and like got rid of all of their benders like you can like um hint at it in like a kid friendly way Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. it's like empathizing with the marginalized Mm -hmm. is the whole show yeah i mean i think honestly 10 12 years from now if i wanted to teach about like the decision to drop the atomic bomb in 1945 Mm. like you could use avatar as like because it's there's there are just moments where where they're wrestling with 
questions at that level. I mean, they're in episode three, they talk about genocide. Mm. Like it's, that's crazy, but great. Mm -hmm. Great. And it showed like that episode specifically, it showed like how like traumatized Aang was. Like he was just so like, so full of sorrow. And it's just like, it, you have to, if you take a step back, it's like, oh, that's a kid episode, right? But like, it's, it's it has a lot of heavy like uh, <laughs> feelings centered around it. Yeah, because I think from from our perspective, we can hear numbers of refugees or we can hear numbers mm. from genocide, but it's so much more to like see a human story. Mm. And though it's not a real story, like it, it it still is, I think, really profound. Yeah. Well, Alice, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Again, plug your podcast one more time. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to check out More Than a Single Story, it's on the Clarion website, Spotify, Apple. Like, you can literally find it anywhere. Just, um, yeah, take a listen. We have three episodes out right now. So thank you for having me. You'll be a better person for having listened to it. It's really, <laughs> Seriously, really great. Yeah. truly, really good. Uh, yeah, I could talk to you about Avatar forever. So thank you so much for <laughs> <Yeah>. taking time. <laughs> Well, that was great talking with Alice. I, I think she's somebody who I also want to have back uh, in, in future episodes as we get deeper into this show. She was really insightful. She's somebody who's done her research on the uh, on the show Avatar. So I, I, the more I learn about the show, the more I want to talk with them again because it's like, well, now I know more. Can we talk more? Absolutely. Um, that is all the time that we have for this week. Um, we As we go forward, we'll probably have more guests. Um I'm not sure that we'll have guests every episode, but I'm trying as much as possible to tap into networks and resources mm-hmm. of of guests. And we're going to be continuing to drop one episode a week. If you want to catch up with Avatar with Academics and watch, listen to old episodes, um, the easiest way to find old episodes is to go to avatarwithacademics.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find all of our old episodes there. You can find our episode, our Christmas episode um, <laughs> on The Last Airbender Uh yeah, I kind of recommend watching the movie just because it's terrible. Oh, and I will painful. say we had hours of content we could have talked yeah, about. Yeah, we may have to do like a revisiting that every that, year. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Every year for Christmas <laughs> we terrible talk Christmas. about it. <laughs> um, so, Speaking of terrible things. Yes. So our <laughs> next episode uh, is called Avatar Day, and we just want to warn people ahead of time. Um, like the Great Divide, this this is either number two or number three on the lowest rated episode. So we just yeah. before the interview, we were talking about how the season starts off slow, but it gets really great. I don't, th- I haven't seen this episode, but from what it sounds like, it doesn't get great quite yet. Right. This is a hurdle we all have to collectively jump in order to get to the really good stuff. So kind of like with the Great Divide, I probably it'll probably be you and me next week talking about what could have been better. How okay. they could have changed it, right? And trying to and trying to pull out some things that were good in it because unlike the Great Divide, I don't think it ruined characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it it feels really out of place. I have to secretly say I'm super excited for an episode that's that's a, a stinker. Like like I'm actually excited to be like, hey, let, let's 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 dig into because it. it is kind of fun to dig into something that's maybe not great. And right. see what see what we can pull out of it because I actually feel like our Great Divide conversation was pretty good, yeah. Even though we were battling against an episode we didn't love, and truly nothing can be worse than the Last Airbender movie. 
That's true. It, yeah, it's all it's all about perspective, right? Iroh would teach us that. Right, you know, exactly. That, that even even the the village jerk was was a nice man who gave them a gold coin. Yep, yep. <laughs> so so let's be looking for that as we go into uh, book two, Earth chapter five, Avatar Day. Mm-hmm. 